All right, everyone, welcome to ArcadeCast, our monthly podcast where we talk about all things arcade and location-based entertainment, and we bring on industry experts to talk about topics that can make a positive impact on your business. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to our channel, and hitting that like button really helps this content reach a wider audience. You can also hit the bell to receive notifications of new content. I would like to introduce today's guest. He is an author, speaker, and with more than 30 years industry experience, he's the industry's foremost expert on location-based virtual reality and emerging technology for location-based entertainment venues. He's never met a microphone that he didn't like. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Bob Cooney. Welcome. Dude, so good to be here. You're right, I've never met a microphone I didn't like, and here's my little... (laughs) That is a pretty cool little microphone. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing good, man. How are you? It's good to connect with you from halfway around the world. I know it is. Yeah, we're always, well, you are always in different time zones. I'm in the same one on the other side of the planet, but (laughs) I'm doing good. Yeah, cool. And I'm coming to you live from Mexico. Well, not live. By the time you see this, it'll be recorded, but um, in Baja, California. And I'm looking past the camera out into the Beautiful Pacific, if anybody cares. We are, we're sharing an ocean. I guess that's what, what we have in common right now anyway. Hi, <laughs> Tamark! <laughs> almost, almost. So the topic today, Bob, I know that we are right around the corner from Amusement Expo. And this year marks the fifth anniversary for the Amusement Expo VR Summit, which you have been a champion of since its inception. And for anybody who is watching, who doesn't know what the VR Summit is, why don't you kind of give us an overview of what, what it is? Yeah, cool. It was, you know, it was, it started, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I was going to these VR conferences and it was a bunch of VR people trying to sell VR stuff to other VR people. And I was talking to all the operators in our industry and none of them had any clue what was happening in the virtual reality space. And so I went to you know, the AMA and the AMOA and I said, hey, can we bring a VR education track into amusement expo and start connecting the solution providers and the people doing development with operators to start having conversation because one of the things i found is that the vr community didn't really understand the needs of the amusement market and the amusement market didn't really understand what was possible with vr and so we wanted to bring those communities together and now yeah fifth year we've expanded to two days this year. So normally it would be, you know, the day before the trade show, which is on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, And so the VR summit has always been on Tuesday. And this year we're starting um, Monday at I think 1 PM and we're going to run into the evening with a a reception Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and then a full day on Tuesday. So we've really expanded the program this year. Awesome. Yeah. We, we are looking very much forward to being a part of that for sure. Um, one question that I, I had here, you talk about the VR community, are you talking about the VR home community or, you know, I know VR Cades have, they're, they're still a very popular format. And was that, a, was that kind of the community you're talking about or how did you, how did the evolution of where we are now and where we were then um, kind of help maybe lay, lay the land out of you know how that evolved over the last five years from what you've seen? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think what happened was, so, you know, Oculus, short history, Oculus popped up on Kickstarter in 2014, Facebook bought them 2016 for a couple of billion bucks, you know, and all of this, you know, hype started happening in virtual reality and all these developers rushed into the VR market thinking there was going to be a consumer market. It didn't develop quickly. They pivoted to location-based entertainment and arcades and they started creating games for 
you know, our industry or, for, or initially for these kind of pop-up VR arcades that were, you know, a bunch of Vive booths at a strip center and there'd be anywhere between four and 20 and you'd go in and you'd rent a booth for a half an hour, an hour and you'd play games. And, and in the meantime, that business didn't really make sense for family entertainment centers. It wasn't really, we want turnkey attractions that people can, you know, high throughput, high reliability. And, and, and so the VR market was developing products that didn't fit for our industry. And, and so I think over the last four or five years with the, you know, the success of products like Rabbit showing that VR can be operated unattended, for example, right? I mean, you guys were the first company to prove that that was possible. Um, and then the development of a bunch of other attractions. Now VR has come, you know, become a lot more mature um, within LBE and purpose-built for family entertainment centers. And, and, and while that's happening, the consumer market now is starting to really grow rapidly. So Facebook with Ocular Meta, as they're called now, the Oculus Quest 2 at the right price point at 299 bucks, that's selling like hotcakes. And so people are starting to get VR at home. And so now we're going to be faced with the inevitable question is how do we stay relevant again as we build more VR attractions within family entertainment centers and location-based entertainment facilities? How do we differentiate between those experiences and the ones that people can do at home? And I think we've all seen that movie before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you see that as a, well, it's probably a, a double-edged sword, but you know, opportunity or threat with the home VR market expanding the way that it is and yeah. the LBE market, obviously VR is, is a, a hot category of product there. Opportunity threat. What are your thoughts on both sides of that? I think, I think, you know, there's always opportunities and threats, right? And so, yeah. um, and I love paradox. So I think the, the, <laughs> the opportunity is less than 10%. Last survey I saw 7.7% .7 of Americans actually had a VR headset, uh, which means 90% of them plus don't have it at home yet. Will they get them eventually? Yes. Will it take several to, you know, many years? Yes. Um, and in the meantime, 90% of the people that have tried VR say they want to do it again. And so 90% of the people that have tried VR want to do it again, but only 7% have it at home. That's the opportunity. And then staying ahead of the curve to make sure that like all of the entertainment we provide, it's social multiplayer, you know, differentiated from what you can do at home is the key of what we have to continue to deliver as an industry. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. <clears throat> I like to point out to operators too. That's, that is a huge opportunity. We've seen a lot of the people who have uh, experienced Rabbids, that was their first VR experience. And that's something that's fantastic to be able to op offer as a manufacturer. You know, somebody's first experience in a brand new platform is exciting. But the fact that the home consumer market is not quite mature enough yet, I think that's a huge opportunity for operators and location owners to take advantage of is you, you have an opportunity to offer something that people really, they don't, they don't have. It's not that they can't get, they don't have. And so there's you know, driving traffic back to the venue. VR is, is something to be investing in, right? So back there's, to there's, the, there's, sorry, go ahead, Bob. Yeah. No, I was going to say there's no doubt about that. And that's why the games are proving so popular in arcades, right? I mean, paying them and they're paying top dollar. And that's why operators are able to get top dollar for those experiences as well is because they're, you know, they're unique and differentiated and, and in-home entertainment keeps getting better and better and better. And so you have to provide something that people can't do at home or that's just so much better. Randy White, you know, his, in his January blog, I follow him, you know, religiously. And, and one of the, the things he said, 60 plus 68% of 16 to 34 year olds said that going out for entertainment is more trouble than it's worth now. 
like that's what we're up against as an industry. And so we have to create these awesome experiences or offer these awesome experiences to get people off the couch. And certainly VR provides that, like the wow factor is there. Yeah, absolutely. Experiences that you can't get anywhere else. I think that's, that's a really huge, huge factor. Um, so ju jumping back to the VR summit here, why is the VR summit a must attend event? I think we've probably talked through some of those reasons, you know, with the opportunity that location owners and operators have in front of them with VR. Um, maybe you talk about, you know, some of the goals of the VR summit and, and why location owners should be attending. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I, look, I try to run my conferences different than um, most of the other ones in the industry. I try to be really forward focused and give operators the information they need to see what's coming and make better decisions about their purchases, their operation strategies. I think that having, um, you know, I try to, and so what I do is I survey the market every year and I say, hey, what are you interested in? What are you thinking about? And this year there were three big themes that emerged in my outreach. One was, you know, what's this thing and what does it mean to me, right? It's all over the media. Facebook rebranded as Meta. Companies are hiring chief metaverse officers. Like what the hell does all of this mean? And so I think having a conversation around that's gonna be important because people are wondering about it. Um, yeah. I think number two is competitive gaming, esports, um, whatever you wanna label it, but we're gonna be doing, you know, a pretty deep dive into that intersection of competition, virtual reality and location-based entertainment and who's doing a really good job there. And what are some of those trends that are gonna be emerging? Um, and then I think the third thing is this, this you know, great resignation slash crisis that we're going through and what's happening in the market around innovations regarding operations. Like what, you know, how do you, how do we have more unattended VR? Or how do, we, how do we have more unattended VR? Or how do we have more of our VR be more efficient? If you have to have labor yeah. against it, how do you make that as efficient as possible? So we're gonna be like looking at the best practices and the latest innovations in those areas. Yeah, awesome, fantastic. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, everybody. And we will be back with part two of Bob Cooney and speaking about the metaverse and some of the uh, poll results that everyone participated in over the last month. So we will get back into that in just a second. Thanks, Tabor. Hi everyone, this is Allison. I wanna let you know about an upcoming parts promotion. Podcast listeners always get early access to an upcoming parts promo. And this time it's our March Madness promotion. For a limited time, you can buy one, get one 25% off on Hypershoot Nets. Just use the promo code NETS25 at checkout. You have from now until March 13th to take advantage of this offer. I also wanna let you know that Virtual Rabbids The Big Ride ships with six experiences and the hygiene kit as standard. That makes Virtual Rabbids the best priced VR product, period. Speaking of VR, are you signed up for the VR Summit at Amusement Expo? If not, just go to amusementexpo.org and click on register. Then be sure to upgrade your registration to include the education package. We hope to see you there. In addition to Amusement Expo, here are some of the other shows you can find us at later this year. Visit laigames.com for complete information. The American Amusement Machine Association is comprised of five industry communities, amusement game manufacturers, distributors, suppliers, 
professional service providers, and location-based entertainment center owner-operators. The mission of AAMA is to preserve, protect, and promote the amusement industry. And we do this in several ways. First, the Amusement Expo International. It's the premier industry trade show, and this year it's scheduled for March 14th through the 17th in Las Vegas. FEC Connect. These are single-day pop-up events held in award-winning entertainment centers around the country. This year, we're hosting five of these in Florida, Texas, California, the Pacific Northwest, and the Northeast. Our annual meeting, scheduled this year for September. Our annual meeting has evolved into one of the best networking events on the industry calendar. The Location Trade Show Program. We set up a centrally located pavilion at several location trade shows for our members to display their latest product and services. This year's LTS calendar includes the Pizza Expo, Bowl Expo, Roller Skating Convention, and the International Trampoline Show. Industry Advocacy. In the halls of Congress, AAMA is represented by Dentons, the world's largest law firm. Their advocacy and policy team of over 150 professionals ensures our concerns and interests are on the agenda of federal legislators. The access they provide our members to key policymakers in D.C. is quite simply unparalleled in the industry. The American Amusement Machine Charitable Foundation. Since its beginning, the AAMCF has made over $2 million in donations to charities that support children and their families in need. We're able to do this through the incredible generosity of our members and industry friends. Now, if any of this sounds like a place for you, won't you join us? We'll save a seat for you. All right, we are back with Mr. Bob Cooney in part two of the VR episode of ArcadeCast. <laughs> uh, Bob, I thought we'd jump into so maybe some of the results of right the now? poll here. Yeah, I thought we'd jump into some of the results of the poll that people took. We had a lot of great respondents and it was a great mix of a lot of different types of locations. We had family entertainment centers, bowling entertainment centers, cinemas, route operations, arcade bar, um, you know, multi-level, multi-location, you know, arcades, a mobile XR trailer. That was cool to see. Somebody, uh, you know who you are out there, whoever it is who owns the mobile XR trailer. Overwhelming majority of people operate VR at their location, uh, whopping 80%. And out of that, uh, the breakdown of the types of VR at the location, 50% operate both attended, attended and unattended. Uh, the majority of people, own, they offer only unattended, but then we have uh, the, the remainder of the portion who only offer attended VR. Now, last, last stat here, and then I've got a question or a comment that somebody left that we can talk about is what are the plans for VR over the next three years from the respondents? And overwhelmingly here, over 70% of people said that they are gonna to continue to invest in VR. Now, obviously that's gonna be a wise decision, but uh, we, we were speaking earlier about, you know, the breakdown of unattended versus attended VR. And you had some interesting thoughts about, you know, people's operational patterns around that. Why would you not invest in one or the other? Maybe give us some of yeah. your thoughts. Around yeah, I'm curious because, you know, there's, you know, almost like there's two cohorts. There's people who have unattended VR and people have attended VR. And I would have expected, like, you know, one to lead to the other almost as an on-ramp. Like if, like, you know, a lot of people started out, I think the first systems were mostly attended systems, you know, and, and, and I'm curious, have those people then gone and invested in unattended VR or 
were they turned off by the complexities of a system that required an attendant, right? And, you know, there's obviously there's training and staffing and, and a lot of times those attended systems don't sell themselves. Like there's no context. It doesn't look like an arcade game and, op and customers aren't sure what they're getting. You know, you walk up to something and there's headsets dangling from threads, cords, and is it, op is it working? Is it not working? And, you know, one of the things we see is that when people are playing in these VR things, you get a cue and more people want to play. And so one of the challenges with an attendant system is you got to be able to sell it. You got to get staff to get people in it. And then once you have people in it, it starts to sell themselves. And so I'm wondering if, if there's not some, you know, the experience that operators had with the complexity of running, successfully running an attended system has led them to not continue to invest in some of the amazing unattended um, VR that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's obviously they're two different, uh, two different experiences. You know, uh, the attended, something that I've noticed when I go around to venues myself and I see the, uh, the attended, sorry, the attended installations and if nobody's there my perception as as a common player i'd be a little bit intimidated and we talked about the fact that a lot of people are not playing vr at home or the, the majority of people have never played vr and so there's probably an intimidation factor that they they look at this they don't know what to make of it and i think you raised a good operational point is get your staff in there playing and showing people what to do in a slow period right yeah yeah, it's, it's critical. It's absolutely critical to the success of VR for people that if 90% of the people don't have VR at home and 40% of the people, and this is all the people in the US, have tried some kind of VR, um, but that means it was probably a guided experience, right? So, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the people's experiences in VR have been guided in some way because it wasn't their own equipment. And so I think you got to be understand, you got to meet people where they are, meet the customer where they are in that experience. And you have to be there yeah. for them. Speaking about equipment, one of the comments uh, talking about unattended operation, uh, one of the comments that one of the respondents left was the headsets are not built robust enough for truly unattended operation. Now, what are your, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, I think I think that if you're talking about like, a vending machine, you're right. Like, would I put any VR system in a location where it was totally unsupervised and there was no, no security? No. Um, you know, is is the product, have the products been built and hardened enough to operate in unattended in a family entertainment center? Without a doubt. Like, yeah. how many rabbits do you have in the field now? And, and the vast majority of those are totally unattended, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got close to a thousand yeah, out in the world and yeah, uh, fully unattended, even in malls yeah, you know, so, where you have a so very for somebody, high... For some, <laughs> yeah, we got a little lag, sorry. Um, and so yeah. for somebody coming out now and saying, oh, well, the hardware is not good enough to be unattended, that's just abjectly a false position. Um, that being said, you know, some companies are doing more than others to try to harden that equipment and, and make it more reliable. It is consumer technology, even if it's B2B, um, it's still not really designed for our industry and may never be. Like we may never get to the point where we have custom designed location-based VR arcade headsets. Like, I don't know, is there enough volume in our industry to warrant that sort of a hardware strategy? And so I think as an operator, what you need to do is you need to think, be just be smart about it, right? I mean, you know, do you need to budget for spare parts? Yes. Do you need to budget for 
you know, replacing headsets over time? Yes. Um, are you making enough money on your 30, 40, $50,000 VR attraction that's giving a payback in about a year? So let's say you're doing 30, 40, $50,000 a year in revenue. Do you need to buy another headset once a year or once every two years, which might cost you hundreds of dollars compared to the tens of thousands in revenue you've made? Yeah. Right. And so that's just the price you pay for offering, you know, cutting edge experiences to your customers is your maintenance cost might be a little bit higher, but your CapEx is higher and your ticket price is higher. Right. And so just just yeah. get your head around that. And I think you'll be fine. Yeah. And we don't we don't call, you know, have any qualms about redemption games. You know, you have to restock tickets. It's a consumable item or cards that go into a, a game that vends games or, or even just redemption. You, you're losing some of your revenue with that payout to, to players, right? So yeah. there's a, it's comparable to other products that people are operating without any reservations. Yeah, totally. If you're, if you're running redemption and you're not giving 30% of your revenue back out in prizes, then you're probably not doing it right. And that's the 30% cost of goods. So what's your maintenance cost budget for a VR attraction, you know, budget five or 10% for maintenance and upgrades and, and stay on top of it. And and give your techs permission to buy parts when they fail and buy parts from the manufacturers instead of going on Amazon and trying to, you know, shortcut it and get the wrong thing. And then you have a cavalcade of errors and then your shit's out of order for a week and you've lost $5,000 in revenue to try to save $200 on a part. I see that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's word to the wise. I think it's great advice. Um, the, the last question, the, the survey here, and this is an interesting one and a great segue to kind of the next topic of conversation for us here is where do you stand on the metaverse? This is a question posed out. And stand on a virtual uh, floor. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so people, 50, almost 50% of the respondents said that they were fairly well informed. Uh, they occasionally read about it in the headlines. But we had a good mix of people who said that, and, and probably more erring on the side of, it's fascinating, a bit confusing, um, but it's a bit over my head. There's, there's more on that side than people who are saying it's the future, I'm all about it, bring on the metaverse. You know, So it's good, we've got a great mix of people, but most of them fall in that middle ground. And I know, you know the metaverse is gonna be a topic of conversation at the VR Summit, so, we can go through a couple of the comments that people made, but maybe give a couple of high level thoughts about, you know, this is the biggest buzzword right now. Tell us about your thoughts on the metaverse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, we're laughing because I think my Zoom crashed right in the middle of Tabor's <laughs> diatribe and, um, and I got back just in time for the punchline. So, um, yeah, look, I think, I think the metaverse, I think, first of all, there's a ton of hype around it. Right. And it really feels like I've been around, I've been around to remember web 1.0 and I was starting laser storm at the time. And, you know, this was probably late 89, 90, 91. And people would come up to me and they're like, you know, by the time 92, 93 came around, the web was all over the place. And people were like, well, do you have a, do you have a web strategy for your laser tag company? And I'm like, we have a website. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, people wanted to know my internet strategy. And now people are asking me about metaverse strategies. It's just really early. 
Um, I think the, yeah. the, the reason it's relevant for our industry is it shows you, it, it's gonna create conversation around what's real and what's virtual and why to our customers, the younger generations that are now our customers or becoming our customers, they don't see it any differently. They don't understand, they don't see the difference like some of us old people do of virtual versus real. To them, it's all real, it doesn't matter. And so I think that, you know, when you have, you, we've, we've heard them called digital natives, right? Which is kids that have grown up with, you know, iPhones and iPads and, and all of these devices and social media and their friends are online and they play games like Fortnite, which have become, you know, virtual places for them to meet up and have conversations and hang out with their friends. Um, and I think that as that becomes better and better and better and more and more immersive and people have the ability to do that in virtual reality at home, what does that mean for our business and what are operators going to need to do to extend their brand into the metaverse where people are spending more time over time and how do they stay relevant? I think that this is going to be the biggest disruption to our industry since home console gaming. And that was a bad one. And so, yeah. you know, and I, I remember talking at fun expo in 1990 eight or 1999 when xbox live had just launched and i was like hey guys we need to really think about sharing the cash box with game publishers so we can keep the best video games in our industry and i was branded a heretic and operators spit on me <laughs> and um and and then you know we lost the video game business and and so how the metaverse develops is going to be really really relevant to what our new strategies need to be in the next two, three, four, five, 10 years. I don't think it's going to affect anybody in the next year or two, but I guarantee you in three to five years, there's going to be more talking about it. The operators that are more prepared for that are going to be the ones that excel in that period. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. That idea is that this is not a two-year problem or three-year problem. This is a 10-year problem. Uh, and I say problem, it's, it's, that's a terrible word to use for it. It's an opportunity. Um, the, the concept of digital natives is, is really fascinating. And that's something that I, I also agree with is, you know, I've got four digital natives living under my roof right now that, you know, these, these guys don't know any different. And I joke with them about, you know, I, I pull out a cassette tape and I say, Hey, anybody know what this is? <laughs> Nobody knows what a cassette tape is. It's just what, you know, what these guys don't know any different. And they, they congregate in games like Fortnite the thing that really fascinates me, and there's an opportunity here, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is the, I, the concept of persistent identity. You know, so you yeah. have a login right now, you have a login at Facebook, and you have a login at Twitter, and you have a login at, on Discord. But having a, an identity that persists everywhere and creating a truly virtual version of yourself, that's, I see a huge opportunity there for LBE owners and operators is tapping into something that people don't have to, you know, create an, an additional login to access your, your stuff. And you tap into that digital identity and offer experiences around that. You know, what, what are your thoughts around a persistent identity? Um, I think, yeah, I think before we get to a persistent identity, we have to actually think about identity and how people want to show up in these virtual worlds. And, you know, and, and one of the things, you know, I spent a, I spent a few days <clears throat> recently at a cosplay slash esports fighting game 
um, event out in Riverside. I wrote about this in a blog post recently and, and um, or an email blast. And what really came across was cosplayers, you know, were really looking for a safe space to come out and be in the world the way they wanted to show up, which was in costume and in character. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that online worlds give people the ability and, and to do is to do that much more easily and find their communities where they feel safe to do that online. And, you know, and there's all kinds of conversations around, you know, what is safe online and behavior and, you know, and, and Meta just came out with a four, four foot radius circle where you can't get in somebody's space and in their new horizon um, virtual world experience. And, and there'll be a lot of debate about how we manage that over time. But I think just understanding for our market, understanding that identity is a thing and how people want to identify is important to them and giving them a safe space to show up the way they want to show up in the world will create fans and community. And whether you're doing that in your venue or you're doing that online or you're giving people the ability to bring their virtual identity from the metaverse or virtual worlds into your location and play like, is that coming? Is portability coming? Probably. But I think we're a long ways away from that. And with our industry, I'm not even sure our operators, enough operators understand how important identity is to people and, you know, and, and, and showing up with, you know, like just gender identity has become a huge lightning rod of conversation within mm -hmm you know, the United States and, and half oh, the, the country seems to not yeah. believe that that should be a thing, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So I think, there's a, I think there's a bigger conversation around identity we need to have before we start talking about, you know, portable persistent identities going from, from location to location and why that's important. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% because people don't necessarily want to just create a virtual version of what, what exists right here and then just put it into virtual space. And yeah, somebody, one of the people uh, who took the poll here made a comment is that I doubt the metaverse is a family friendly fit as it would be difficult to vet bad language, um, suggestive avatars, you know, and I think this is the thing, it's hard to control what people will create because there's going to be people who, who do it for out of, out of uh, you know, good, good reasons. I need to create the identity that I feel comfortable with, but then there's going to be people that potentially try to take advantage of and game game the system in a negative way that also has to be factored. And these, these are, you know, there's so much stuff to talk about in the concept of the metaverse, but it's identity and keeping people safe in it is really, really interesting and important. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and one of the nice things about location-based entertainment is we have, like, if they're present physically, it's, conceivably easier to do that because we can monitor it more carefully. But when you get into on, real online worlds, but these are problems that have been existing for 20 years, right? Raf Coster, who's a legendary game designer who created Ultima Online and, and Star Wars Galaxies and a bunch of, you know, he was a chief creative officer for Sony Computer Entertainment for many years. You know, he talks a lot about this at the Game Developers Conference. It's like, we, they've been tackling these problems for 20 years in places like Second Life and Ultima Online and StarCraft and World of Warcraft. And all of these like online worlds have been there for a long time. And, and I think that we can learn from those lessons if we really want to tackle those challenges. But I think we're, I think for location-based entertainment, we're actually in a good position to be able to provide safer experiences for people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So what, what can people expect um, 
you know, to gain at the VR summit to kind of just circle back here and, and come full circle. Uh, yeah. What can people expect around, you know, the, the metaverse? There's going to be a lot of exciting conversation to have. We're going to be physically connected with each other, which is great after the last many years of, of everything that everyone's been dealing with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what can people expect around the metaverse? I know you're going to have a panel uh, discussing that topic at the, at the conference, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to bring some experts in that are um, not necessarily some from our industry and some outside of our industry and some from the industry that have also worked outside the industry um, to talk about what their viewpoints are and, and what, what might be coming. And I think, look, I think the metaverse conversation is just helping the people who don't understand it, have some context about what it means for their business, right? Not necessarily what it means in every aspect, but why yeah. is this something that matters to us as amusement operators? And I think yeah. that's what I try to do with all the stuff at, at, at VR Summit is, is, is bring it down to earth, take all of these buzzwords and all these trends and all this stuff that's happening and pull it down to earth for people to give them context about how it applies to their business. And, and I think we're going to be doing that. Um, we're going to try to do that with the metaverse stuff, even though it'll be mostly contextual and it's really early. We'll be talking about the metaverse for the next 10 years or more. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what I was going to say is with a future focus, right? Because this is not something that's going to be relevant. Take no takeaways that I can implement, to, you know, when I go back to my location, this is future, future forward stuff. But I do th look, I do think there's, you know, there's going to be a certain element in calling bullshit on companies that are going out there and selling, you know, metaverse LB, like taking the word metaverse, bolting it onto their VR attraction, and then trying to sell it under that buzzword. I think what I've nothing else I can give people enough knowledge about it to call bullshit in it where it's warranted, which is probably everywhere. Um, you know, yeah. the, the, a location-based VR attraction is not at this point, a gateway to the metaverse. It's just not, it's a VR attraction. And anybody telling you that they're selling you a gateway to the metaverse, they better have a pretty sound strategy about how they're going to tie that all together. And I haven't heard anybody come even close yet, in my opinion. So yeah. I think there's, there's that piece of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe something that is more realistic that people can do right now and something you've talked a lot about recently is esports, especially, you know, virtual. We don't not necessarily just talking virtual though, right? Esports is a, a category that exists. You don't have to be in virtual reality to compete in esports. What are some of the things that you've been talking about that lately and and what can people expect at the VR summit around that? Yeah, I think the definition that we're using around esports is, you know, it's competitive video gaming where people win prizes when they do well. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and to that extent, you know, we've been running, you know, Pac-Man tournaments and, and Donkey Kong world championships and Golden Tee Golf is an eSport and Big Buck Hunter is an eSport. And so we've been running eSports in our industry for a long time. We just didn't use the moniker. Um, and now that that, again, the consumer market for esports has blown up around consumer gaming, you know, we're again, trying to adjust our language and our positioning to fit within the context of a broader movement, which is, which is the esports movement. And so I think the, the important thing for operators is to understand what's a buzzword and what's an actual applicable strategy that can help them drive recurring revenue. And I think that that's where esports comes in for our industry is the ability to build community 
and build recurring revenue streams and repeat visitation. IAPA says that the average FEC family visits an FEC 2.4 or 2.5 times a year. Yeah. And I know locations that are running eSport programs that have weekly visitation, weekly, by dozens or hundreds of people. And so I think that tapping into some of those notions, and the reason I think that VR is relevant is because, again, only less than 10% of the people have VR at home. And so if you're going to try to get into esports, you're going to build, buy, build a, or buy a bunch of PC gaming consoles, you're just in the computer rental business, right? You're because you're mm -hmm. renting somebody something they have at home. How much are they going to pay for that? But if they don't have virtual reality yet, there's a window of opportunity that exists for us to create competitive VR gaming that drives people into um, into the out-of-home locations. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about the parallels. I think Beth Stanley is going to come up during the event, and she's going to talk a little bit about the parallels that she saw from bowling. She was a bowling coordinator back, you know, for Neil Hophauer, Hop, Hop, who created um, fun, it was like the very first, like, Funplex or something in Dallas. Like he was one of the very first big FEC owners that came from the bowling market. And he has a new location now in Texas called Corky's. And she was running bowling competitions back in the, in the late eighties and early mid nineties. And she's going to, have to be talking about the parallel between bowling and esports and VR and how we've already done this before. And the tools are already there. I'm really excited about that session. Yeah. Uh, so am I. I think this sounds like really exciting lineup of content and uh, I'm sure you got a lot of great, great speakers. Uh, we've seen, you can check out the, the evolving schedule on the Amusement Expo website, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I've got, if, you go to Bob, if you go to bobcooney.com um, on the homepage at the top, there's a link to the agenda page on my website, um, which has a little bit more detail. The agenda page on the Amusement Expo website, you have to like poke through the entire event agenda to try to find everything. And I find it a little bit cumbersome. So I okay. try to replicate that on my website to make it a little bit easier to find. Okay. Well, everybody go check that out. Go check up the agenda for uh, the VR Summit. And I will be at Amusement Expo this year. I'm looking forward to being able to travel out there from all the way from Australia and connecting with people again. So I will see you there. Um, it's going to be a great show. So thank you, Bob. I uh, really appreciate you sharing your time with us today and sharing your expertise. Uh, look forward to connecting in person. And that is it for today's episode of ArcadeCast. Thanks for watching or listening. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or any other, other things that you want to tell us, you can submit them at laigames.com slash arcadecast. Thank you again, Bob. And we hope everybody else has a great rest of your day. We will see you around.